Om Jnanati Mirandasya Jnananjana Salakaya Chakshurun Militam Jiratasmai Sri Guruve Nama Jai So, before we speak about the Lila of Krishna's birth, it's appropriate to say something about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. Because without the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we could not understand anything about Krishna's appearance. And of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. She gora hari, so he goes to bihari. That same cowherd, Rajendranandan Krishna, has appeared as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Kali Yuga. And so this is the appropriate way of speaking about Krishna Lila by prefacing any discussion of Krishna Lila with some discussion of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Lila's that correspond with Krishna's Lila. So Satyanandan Gorhari is our deity. We are called Gaudiya Vaishnavas. And along with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his Lila, of course, all of the associates of Krishna and Krishna Lila also descended. This is a, an important point that speaks well for the insights of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Because many people speak about Krishna and even people say that other people are Krishna, their teachers, their gurus, often we hear this. But who stopped to think or had the sense or understanding of what Krishna means to the extent of the Gaudiyas who understood that if Krishna is to appear himself, Swayam Bhagavan, he's not alone. We should understand the very meaning of Krishna. The very concept of Krishna necessitates his being surrounded by wonderful devotees. Were there no such wonderful devotees, there would be no Krishna conception of God, because the Krishna conception of God is the reciprocation from the Absolute to the hearts of those who have dedicated themselves to the extreme, to the point, that is to say, that he cannot repay them. And so what what can he do? Their devotion exhausts his capacity to reciprocate. Krishna has so many things to give in reciprocation for those who devote themselves to him. But there's a certain sector that devote themselves to such an extent that he concludes, I have to become theirs. And not only do I have to become theirs, but as they want me to be, as their son, in the case of Nanda and Yashoda, as their friend, as their lover, and so forth. This is a very extraordinary idea. So, point is that there's no meaning to Krishna without his devotees. Brajendanandan Krishna, Krishna of Vrindavan in particular. So, these Gaudiyas, they understood this is Krishna, and naturally they understood that they're in his midst, must be his associates as well. Of course, in time they came to find out that it was them. <laughs> they were his associates. Nityananda's Balaram and, and so on. So many. Krishna's uh, father, Jagannath Mishra, his grandfather, Upendra Mishra, these are Vasudev, Parjanyam, father of, of Nanda Maharaj, Sachimatta, Yashoda appearing. So they came to find themselves to be all these associates. It's a wonderful idea. As I say, it speaks well of the insights of the Gaudi Vaishnavas about Krishna. So we offer our 
Dhanavat Pranams, Sahasrakoti Pranam to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Sridhar said, first the giver, then the gift. So he takes precedence in our life. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the giver of Krishna Lila. Kabiraj Goswami has explained his gift, his being to be analogous to a fountain of love of God, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, from which streams are flowing in all directions, streams of Krishna Lila in all directions. So he's the giver and Krishna's the gift. And who but Krishna can give the gift of himself? Namo Mahabodhanaya Krishna Prima Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Namaha. Rupa Goswami had such deep insight. You must be Krishna. He told Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He offered his pranam in this way because no one can give love of Krishna. No one can give Krishna himself but Krishna. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu arranged that, of course. Then after he's coming to do so, then in the succession, so many devotees are giving Krishna. So we offer our pranam to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the, the auspicious lila of his advent. He's the combined form of Radha and Krishna. Sridhar Maharaj gave a very poetic and beautiful description when he said that neither Krishna or Radha appeared on the full moon. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the combination of them. He is the, came on the poor name. Two combined together. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Radha Krishna Nahayana Rupanuga Janera Jivan. This is our ideal, the life of the followers of Rupa Goswami is this principle. That Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Radha and Krishna combined. So only by his grace and the grace of the Gaudiya Guru Parampara Stemikim can we say anything about Krishna Lila and about this auspicious uh, Janmastmi appearance of Krishna in the world. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to give two talks tonight with we'll Kirtan and Japa in between. First, I want to talk about the common understanding of Krishna's appearance, which is itself very uncommon. But the one that most people are familiar with, which the Bhagavatam overtly speaks about, and then I want to speak about what the Bhagavatam covertly speaks about for those who pay more attention and have more interest, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, who make so much out of one little pada, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. I've heard other Vaishnavas and other traditions say, you're making so much out of one little line in the Bhagavatam. What about the rest of the Bhagavatam? One little line you're making so much. But it's it's said that we can know God comprehensively, as comprehensively as God can be known how? By loving God. And that's our practical experience with one another too. When we love someone and we fall in love with someone, we get to know them pretty well. We have to. They have to get to know us and we have to make sacrifices and so forth. So, loving affords the most comprehensive knowing. So, it is a loving thing. In the least, it is a, is a, a flattery. Krishna is, is Swayam Bhagavan. Narayan is even uh, only an incarnation of Krishna. This kind of flattery, only coming from the Gaudias, practically. But, that's expression of their love. So, we may, if we're thoughtful, we understand, oh, they must know something. Having expressed that kind of love, they must get some kind of reciprocation, some knowledge, some knowing. And of course, they do. And that one line, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, that we make so much out of, Jiva Goswami made, yes, he made a whole Sandarbha out of, Krishna Sandarbha, and explained in Bhagavatam how that sloka, that, that one line of one sloka is the Paribhash sloka, the key to understanding the whole of Srimad Bhagavatam. An elaborate uh, treatise, he wrote. So, 
we are all in the Gaudiya Vaishnav line. We should know, as far as possible, what are the secrets that the Gaudiyas have mined, uh, what valuable jewels they've mined from the from Srimad Bhagavatam, their main book. They call it the heart of Krishna, Srimad Bhagavatam. Many different types of transcendentalists have appreciation for Srimad Bhagavatam, but nothing like Gaudiya Vaishnavas do. So, on account of that, they've gone very deeply and found many wonderful, wonderful secrets. And we are all Gaudiya Vaishnavas here, so we can speak about those. So, we'll, we'll do that second. First, we'll speak about the common understanding of Krishna's appearance as it's represented in Bhagavatam. And that, as I say, is, is, is uncommon. And there are wonderful Gaudiya insights about, about that as well. You know, the history is related in Bhagavatam. Most of you must be familiar that there was a time that uh, the world was said to be under considerable oppression. And we know from Bhagavad Gita, Krishna has said, Yada yadahi dharmasya klanir bhavati bharata vitanam dharma satalatnam sajami ham. That is a cause for uh, some divine intervention. And earth was said to be feeling overburdened by the oppressive conditions which were not conducive to God consciousness, not conducive to acknowledging the position of, for example, Earth herself in relation to the whole reality. This is the problem. With, uh, this is what we call material attachment. When we become attached to, inordinately attached, I should say, to material objects, and that means also persons that we identify with only in terms of their physical and mental makeup, their their, their personality that is uh, is more uh, an object than it is really a the person because the person itself is is, is is has to be to some extent asleep for that whole affair to go on. So anyway, our attachment to material manifestations causes a bias to come over us. And we all have a practical experience when we're attached to something and we can't see it clearly. We'll overlook its faults. And and the problem with uh, this is when we can't see the material world clearly for what it is, we don't know how to interact with it in such a way as to, as to realize our objective to be happy in life. We tend up to then to objectify people and use them for a mentally conceived purpose of our own rather than giving persons and things a life of their own which everything has everything has its origin in, in the absolute everything has a relationship with its origin with the Godhead but we don't allow that to, uh, we don't foster that by looking at the world with, through, the, through the colored glasses of our material attachment so it's no wonder that it feels like we're in an unfriendly environment sometimes. This is the root of that feeling, this attachment. So demonic population that was burdening the earth, is, 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 it means like this. Earth wasn't being seen in relationship to the Godhead. So naturally she felt uncomfortable. And so it said that uh, she approached Brahma in the form of a cow. It's not that the earth be- took the shape of a cow, but it means that that according to the rishis, 
behind every manifestation is consciousness. And consciousness is uh, ultimately personal. So they envisioned a person behind everything. So the deity of earth took the shape of a cow. The earth is to be, uh, in, in one sense, she allows herself to be milked by us. We live on the earth, we've just planted seeds in the earth, and they'll grow, and we'll, we'll live from that. The earth is su supplying so much of our resources. So she allows herself within certain parameters before she becomes upset. And so at this point, apparently, the population, the majority of it had gone beyond those parameters to the extent that she made a petition directly to the universal head, Brahma. These ideas of persons behind things should not be so hard to understand because even in our daily urban life, we, we come to experience that, uh, or we should know that behind all of the facilities that we have, light, for example, water, heat, and so forth, would you turn a switch on or a valve uh, and it comes out, there's a person behind that. There's a bill to pay for that. It comes in the mail every month, so that bill is reminding us that there's someone on the other end, and if you don't acknowledge that person on the other end, well, then the water won't flow and the, the light won't go on when you flip the switch. And So, in a simplistic way, we can get some idea of what the Rishis envisioned. That there were persons behind every manifestation of material nature and consciousness of person. So, Brahma is one of those persons in terms of universal affairs, the four-headed Brahma, a devotee, but a devotee with um, with an agenda. He has some agenda. He has, he has some interest in worldliness. So he, he dovetails it in such a way that the creative power that he harnesses and utilizes, he, he uses ultimately in the service of Krishna. So that's how the universe is supposed to be run. So when things go amiss, then there's some complaints. So Earth, Bhumi, in the form of a cow, registered her complaint. And Brahma then, with uh, some of the other gods, uh, you said he that he approached uh, Vishnu. He approached by meditation. So this is the way in which we can actually come in touch with God. I remember once on Sridhar Maharaj's veranda, a devotee went to great efforts to touch his feet. You know, an assembly of devotees that were there and whatnot, he made a, a bit of a scene about it almost to... To touch his feet, and the you've heard many times in the scripture, touch the feet of Vaishnav. This is so auspicious to get his foot dust. And Sridhar chuckled and he said, "You think that's what it means to touch the feet of a Vaishnav, to get the dust in the feet of the Vaishnav? It's not a physical thing, but by on the plane of consciousness, we we come in touch with what is really a Vaishnav." So Brahma had that capacity to contact the Lord in meditation on the plane of consciousness, to enter into that state of of consciousness that he could commune with the Lord from his heart. In the simple sense, this verse means that uh, this is possible. This type of communication is possible. We are uh, proud or excited about the capacities for communicating over the Internet. But this is just a manipulation of one of the material elements that affords some capacity for communication, communicating and sending messages out all over. When Sukadeva Goswami spoke Srimad Bhagavatam, 
Maharaj Parikshit was about to leave the world. So many came from all over. They didn't have email to let them know that they should show up at that time. So there are other ways of communicating. Brahma knew that in a profound sense. He communicated with Vishnu, and Vishnu said that, don't worry, I will, I will descend. And you should tell other gods to also descend on earth to assist me in my mission of establishing dharma. It's a twofold mission, according to Bhagavad Gita. Establishing the dharma by means of dealing with the adharmic elements and protecting those who have a sense of dharma. We understand from the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, from our tradition, that the latter is really the cause of the Lord's descent. That there were devotees who felt separation from the Lord to the extent that he could not bear their separation and came to minister to their plight, to, to nourish them in their, in their plight. And as a byproduct of that, those who were non-devotees, they, they're um, dealt with as well. Actually, we should know, theologically speaking, Krishna only interacts with his devotees because Krishna is Atmaram, self-satisfied. So his interaction with devotees is the interaction with his own nature. We call that his Swarup Shakti. When that Swarup Shakti is manifested in the heart of a jiva soul, the Lord has direct interaction and relationship with him. So he he doesn't really have anything to do with those that don't have that the whom in whom he has not invested full manifestation of the Swarup Shakti. This is Krishna himself, now through different avatars and incarnations and so forth. And he made um, deal with the demons. Krishna killed, for example, in Vrindavan. We understand from Chaitanya Charitamrita, it was the Vishnu in Krishna that killed Putana, and the Krishna in Krishna that dealt with her as a mother. So somebody else can take out the, one of his uh, expansions can take out the demonic side, purify the heart to an extent, then he will manifest there. So, Krishna agreed to descend. He told the Devatas also to descend and to assist him. That means that in the heavens there are devotees also. And with Krishna's descent, they get the opportunity to come and participate in the Leela and enter into that Leela. There are different types of devotees we hear from our acharyas that enter into Krishna Leela. There are, of course, Nitya Siddhas who are always there. There are the Sadhana Siddhas. And from the heavens also. It means also that there are some, just like there's Krishna, and then there is Narayan, Krishna in Golok, then Narayan in Vaikuntha. Then in the crossing the line into the material world in the heavens, there are gods and goddesses and some of these are what we call reflections of the Lord. Patika Rupa. And so they come also. These are the ones that descend. And they either, sometimes they merge then into the bodies of the eternal associates of the Lord that descend, or they participate in the Leela without directly merging into those associates. And then when Krishna leaves, they enter into the, into the Leela with him. So, that's, this is an important point for us because we hear that the Krishna told Brahma to tell the devas to also descend and assist him in his pastimes. 
But we should know that those persons who are the mother and father of Krishna, Krishna's intimate friends and so forth, they, they cannot be merely uh, from heaven. As we said earlier in relation to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Krishna is always with his associate. There's no meaning to Krishna without those associates. That is the very, the, the very devotion of the devotees is Krishna. That is the cause, if we could call it that, of Krishna. So, this Nanda Maharaj, Yasoda Vasudevi, Vindevaki, and, and so forth, it cannot be from heaven. It, if we look at the Bhagavatam in this section on its face, it says, Devapraya. Devapraya means almost gods, almost God. So it can be rendered demigods, for example. Probably used, used the term demigods, semigods. So it, it looks on its face as if all these associates, like Krishna's father and mother, so relative to our discussion tonight, his two fathers, his two mothers, we could say, they were from heaven. But the Goswamis, they're very uh, deeply absorbed in Krishna consciousness. As I said, these Gaudiya Vaishnavas, they understand what is Krishna, what is this idea of Krishna, very deeply. So when they see things like this in Bhagavatam, they understand it according to their inner vision. So their commentaries then explain what others won't catch. That's why, for example, in some Sampradayas, they think that the gopis are apsaras. They come from heaven. Now this is, a, to us, this is like thunder on our ears. Such the high ideal of the gopis. We cannot find anything higher in terms of devotion. I think the apsaras means heavenly damsels. But you hear that and you think, this is a horrible idea, but it actually you can find it on the surface of the Bhagavatam much support for that. And, and, the, and the mother and father of Krishna, they came from heaven. But to see these, as I was mentioning earlier, these Gaudias, they have really a deep, deep conception of Krishna. So they can assess that possible. You cannot have Krishna without his eternal associates, endowed with that kind of love that causes the Absolute to manifest in that form that we call Krishna, conquered by love. Again, have, having to reciprocate to the measure of the devotee's love such that all he can do is place himself in their hands as they want him, as a son, as a father, as a mother, or excuse me, as a friend, as a lover, becoming his father and mother. So we can say almost gods. So what, do the, what will the Goswami say about that? That Devapraya, it means almost God himself. This is how we should think of the devotee. Sakshadhari tena samastha shastra. Even said about Guru, that we, we respect like God himself. And Vaishnav, what do we say about them? We respect Vaishnav like God? No. More than God. We're <laughs> told more than God. We, I've said many times, we pay our respect to the deity. Why? Why do we bow down before the deity? Because some Vaishnava told us that's God and explained the theology and so forth. So where is, the, where is God? For us, he's more in the heart of that Vaishnava than even in the deity. So they are almost, almost gods, we can say. Devapraya. This is the proper Siddhanta. The associates of Krishna, they didn't come from heaven. There are some people who came from heaven, as I mentioned, to participate in Krishna Leela, and they're not ordinary persons either. But not Krishna's father and mother. So when you hear about Prishni, what is it, Prishni Garba, Sutapa, 
and, and Dronandara, these uh, persons are mentioned in the Bhagavatam in relation to Krishna's father and mother in Mathura and in Vrindavan. If we study the Gaudiya Vaishnava's Tikas commentaries, then we understand, oh, it's not that Krishna is the son of Drona and Dara. Or that, that is on the surface. And again, some of the, one of the reasons, of course, for this is that the Krishna's realm is very, very exclusive. It's very secret. So not anyone can enter there. This is, again, why it's so extraordinary. That uh, Why we give such praise for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Such a secret thing he's made so available. To give the highest thing to the most unqualified people is a full measure of generosity. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, what did he say in Chaitanya Charitamrita? He said, I have some very secret information that is more secret than the Vedas. The Vedas are said to be secret, therefore not everybody can, can hear the Veda. Only certain persons were allowed in the Vedic culture to recite the Veda to hear. Secret message, not for the common people. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami says, I have something to say. It is more confidential than the Veda. It's way far more confidential than the Veda. Jiva Goswami said, he, he said, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has said, Shrotam api Upanishadam dure harikatamrita. Those aphorisms of the Veda means that portion of the Veda we know as the Upanishads, the secret portion. Those things are very far from Harikata. What you can experience by Harikata, talking about Krishna's Leela, leaves what you can accomplish by uttering the Vedic mantram far in the dust. It's an insignificant accomplishment. So, so secret. And Krishna's Kaiva is speaking about not only Krishna Leela, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Secret within secret. So he said it. I have What I have to say is more secret than the Veda. And I shouldn't say it. But I'm going to say it. But I'm going to say it in such a way that only people who have real interest, they can understand what I'm talking about. Most people won't understand. Just like we chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. So some people take Ram to be Balram. It's bonafide. But how can you say Hare and think of Radha? Hare also means Krishna. It's the vocative of Hari. So it means, oh Hari. O Krishna, O Ram. But if you take Hare to be Radha, evocative of Hara, then you have to turn Ram into Radha Raman, Krishna. Or there may be some problem, because if, if Balaram is in the room and Radha comes in, she'll, she'll get up and leave. The elder brother is there, Dauji. Some respect, it compromises that. That's why we don't put Radha and Krishna on the altar with uh, Balaram or we have a Gaur Nityananda and then Radha and Krishna. We can put Chaitanya Mahaprabhu next to Radha and Krishna, but not Nityananda Prabhu. So if you have a Hare and you, if you are conceiving of Radha, and you are also conceiving of Ram as Balaram, then you may have a problem. But it, not, not necessarily, because there are also friends of Krishna who think like this. They have connection with Radha's group. They have to, in order to minister to Krishna's need in conjugal love. So, and they also have a relationship with Ram, Balaram. But they know, like Madhu Mangal, Subal, have to speak about Radha in such a way that it could mean something else. And overtly it does. So they can say Hare, 
And it can mean one thing, and it can mean another thing at the same time. No problem. So this is uh, the expertise of the devotees. This is to be shared only with the persons who have aptitude, according to their aptitude, their adhikar. So a devotee has to be expert. Sukadeva Goswami was expert, speaking Bhagavatam. Again, who was the assembly? So many different types of people were there. They weren't all Parampagvatas. They came from all different religious conceptions. And it's appropriate. Bhagavatam is a very is a veritable uh, course of uh, comparative religion. And Srimad Bhagavatam, what is the meaning of Srimad Bhagavatam? We'll go to Brihat Bhagavatamrita to understand. The first commentary, in effect, is a commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam and Amsar Sapradaya is the book called Brihat Bhagavatamrita of Sanatana Goswami. What is he explaining? So many different lokas or planes of God consciousness. This is what's dealt with in Srimad Bhagavatam. One plane of consciousness is being dealt with, the highest plane, directly and indirectly. Anvayad itaratad says it in the very beginning. Directly and indirectly. So sometimes to shed light on a thing, its glory, we speak about it indirectly, and sometimes directly. This is the way the scripture works. So Sugadev Goswami had such a large crowd, so many people, so he spoke in a covert way. And those who were qualified, they could understand. So for preaching, then we have to assess the, the audience. The task is to speak in such a way that everyone is, is getting something on every level. So Bhagavatam, all the associates of Krishna, they aren't coming from heaven, they're his eternal associates. Appropriately, Sukadeva Goswami spoke, and appropriately the Gaudiya Vaishnavas are bringing out all, all these things to share, and that in a tasteful way. It said as the story in Bhagavatam continues of Krishna's appearance, that there was a king uh, who settled in Mathura. We find in the ninth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam an important verse that describes the in the ninth canto, at the end of the ninth canto, Krishna Leela, the narration of Krishna's Leela, his birth and his Leela, begins in the tenth canto. It's touched on, on throughout, but the formal whole story is, is found in the tenth canto. So the ninth canto, in the end, is leading up to this by way of speaking about the um, family tree, what do you call it, genealogical table, uh, the dynasties and descendants and so forth, all leading up to Krishna's appearance. So the ancestry, the, the background. This is one of the elements of a Purana, that it contains these things. So Bhagavatam is not really a Purana in a sense, because it's it's more than that, but it, it's that divine uh, descent couching itself in a Puranic setting. Therefore, it's called Amalam Puranam, Srimad Bhagavatam, Vaishnamanam Priyam. It's a spotless Purana. It doesn't deal with the, with the modes of nature. It deals only with the highest transcendental subject matter. But it, that is couched in a Puranic setting, so we have to also be careful and thoughtful to sort out when we study book like Srimad Bhagavatam, what's essential there and what's not. And in order to do that, we need good guidance. Don't embark upon this yourself. You'll throw out the wrong thing. It's so easy to identify mentally with high ideals and then forego the lower things, the unessential things from a higher point of view that might be needed or are needed for us to actually realize that high ideal. People like to have some identification with a with a high ideal mentally but they're not very much liking to 
identify with the means to realize that. That's rather unpalatable in comparison. It's nice to hear the flowery and poetic statements about the highest truths and, and to espouse them to others and so forth. But if we talk about the means to realize that, then people have something else to do, somewhere else to go. So when we sort all these things out, what's essential in Bhagavatam, what's not, uh, we need good guidance for this. So there in the ninth canto, there's a verse that describes a person named Dev, uh, Devamhida and how he gave birth to a son named Sura. And that Sura came and settled in Mathura. And what's mentioned in Bhagavatam is that Sura gave birth to a son named Vasudev. There are other things not mentioned there directly, but have been brought out by the Goswamis. And we'll hear about that in the second part of this this talk that helped us to understand the relationship between Nanda Maharaj and Vasudev. But with regard to Krishna's appearance in Mathura, Vasudev was residing happily in Mathura. Ugrasen was the king at the time. And Vasudev was in his uh, wedding procession. And his uh, and Kangsa, here Kangsa enters the Bhagavatam. We know nothing about Kamsa being a bad person. He didn't show any signs of being a bad person, particularly. But when certain things happen in our lives, we react to them in, in different ways, and then we see, oh, who's who? So something happened to Kamsa, as you know. He was riding, and I think he was even driving the, the chariot, and his, uh, he's related to Devaki. So he's become a brother-in-law uh, of sorts of... Vasudev driving the chariot and an oracle came from the from the sky that the eighth son of Devaki will bring about your demise, your death. And oh, he reacted so strongly to that due to the force of material attachment. He was prepared right there on the chariot in the wedding procession to behead his own uh, sister, Devaki. It was such an atrocious thing. Although these are, of course, true stories, they have an ontological substance. The nature of Krishna Leela is that it, while it is his eternal drama, it's pregnant with knowledge and meaning for all of us. So we have to draw on so many levels. This is, teaches us the force of material attachment and its power to degrade us. We would think, oh, I would. I mean, I wouldn't have done that. Cut my the head of my my sister off in the wedding procession because I heard an oracle from the sky. This guy's really demonic. But what we're supposed to learn from this, among other things, one thing is that the nature of material attachment is an attachment to this body. Although it's temporary, we know it and we say it in common English parlance here today and gone tomorrow. We don't live like that. We don't put that simple thing into practice. And to the extent that we are bound by our material attachment, we're prone to being degraded. And see how degraded he became. This is just a, to bring out the point, to emphasize the point. Material attachment degrades us. It brings us down. It engages us in things that we know are not in our interest. So this is why Prabhupada used to call everybody fool number one. <laughs> this is, Prabhupada was one person that didn't do that. Didn't do things that he could understand were not in his own interest. But we do that I've said before, can you think of a time when you did that? Or can you think of a time when you're not doing that? It would maybe be easier. 
so uh, we may have much to say so many people and be learned in many respects like probably used to speak like this about scientists and politicians and so forth big important men this was his uh, really simple way of making this point you call him a fool number one because uh, if you're doing things that are not in your own interest then you're very foolish no matter how learned you may appear to be and as i say probably with one person that didn't do that so Kansa was prepared to behead his own sister, and Vasudev, of course, tried to intervene and preach to him, but it had no no power over him. So much preaching, so much good philosophy, Vasudev voiced, it didn't sway Kansa at all. One thing swayed him. What was that? His sense of the honesty of Vasudev. Vasudev was such a person, and it, this tells us what? Can, who can tell me what is, relative to what I'm talking about right now, what is a, a synonym for devotee in Sanskrit we find in Srimad Bhagavatam? Satam. What does it mean? Truthful. We have to be truthful. We have to be truthful to, really to ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves. This is what devotee is about. That is root, foundation. Honest with yourself and then situate yourself appropriately, practicing spiritual life, and practice sincerely. Don't be Kali Chela, disciple of Kali Yuga, hypocrite. This, we have to weed this out. So we have a great philosophy, beautiful, profound philosophy, and, and you can learn it and you can speak it, and people become attracted to some extent, but only to the extent that you speak with realization will it really bring about a change in people and that's a big thing you should understand it's very 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 hard to find somebody in this world that's willing to change very hard and that's what we if we're devotees that's what we have to be about we have to be willing to change that requires real honesty and courage and that's also why we have a guru because we're not honest enough to look at ourselves and make it an honest assessment oh, he gives an honest assessment we're, we should be honest enough to accept that assessment. So Vasudev was a pillar of truthfulness. And Kansa knew that. And what did Vasudev do? He gave his word. All right, don't kill my wife-to-be, and I will deliver every child born from her womb to you. Do with as you like. Of course, it's thought, well, if the eighth child of Devaki will kill Kamsa, when he grows up, of course... How does an infant? How is an infant going to kill him? <laughs> that was a special infant. This, of course, he couldn't reason that far. But anyway, he did take uh, many precautions. He accepted anyway Vasudev on his word. Now, the interesting thing here for us to note as well is that as true to his word as Vasudev was known to be, so much so that when he simply voiced, I give my promise, I'll give every son, every issue, every child born from Devaki, Turn him over to you. When he said that, comes to put down a sword, finished everything, fine now. Let's go on with the wedding. <laughs> Character he was. What is the point we, we should know? What did Vasudev do? <laughs> he didn't keep his word. So there's something higher than, than truthfulness in, in, in an ordinary sense also. So when I say you should be truthful, you should be honest. Be honest in the context of being a devotee. And being a devotee is synonymous with being truthful, and it transcends, in its ultimate expression, mundane honesty and uh, and morality. But 
be fully a devotee. Prabhupada once said, he said it about me in a generous way. Prabhupada was very generous. Someone complained that when I was selling the books, I was uh, stretching the truth. And Prabhupada said that, uh, no, it's all right, he said. Only the Paramahamsas can, can lie. He said, it's okay. So he was generous in his statement. But it's a fact. The philosophical point is a fact. The Paramahamsa can lie. Oh, can, this can be so much abused. <laughs> but we should know it's true. The Paramahamsa can lie. But his lying is, is only for the purpose of, of, of giving us the truth. That's all. Therefore, it is said that sometimes uh, sometimes the preachers, in particular, preaching in Siddhanta is not always exactly the same. But, of course, it is in the sense that uh, it is our teaching that we should give Krishna to people at, at any cost, somehow or other. What did Prabhupada say? By hook or by crook, who sell the book. Now, as much as we emphasize this, we have to emphasize how this can be abused and has been abused. And it's been abused because... We don't understand what it means to be a devotee. Vasudev had such a reputation on the material level of being truthful that Kamsa would just accept him on his word. All his preaching of philosophy had no weight. It also means that in, in Kali Yuga, which is just uh, coming, just after Krishna's departure, so it's, it's on its way, truthfulness is, is hard to find. I once was talking with a, a Chaitanya Goswami of the Radharaman Goswami family in Vrindavan. And uh, we were chatting, and he, he met Prabhupada when, when he was uh, quite a young man, and he was telling me about it. And we were talking about Prabhupada, and then he said, uh, he said, Vivekananda was the first to go to the West. Because he was glorifying Prabhupada's campaign and so forth. Then he was reflecting, Vivekananda was the first to go to the West. And then I was quick to say, yes, but Vivekananda was not a Vaishnava. He said, yes, of course. But he said, but morally he was perfect. And then I thought to myself, that's a big thing. And it's coming from Chaitanya Goswami. <laughs> Radharamana Goswamis, and well, they're preaching Bhagavatam professionally and so forth, and they're Brahmins, and that meant a lot. He means he himself. No. Bhakti Siddhartha Thakur criticized, of course, so many caste Goswamis and other groups and so forth for... Uh, they spoke Harikata very nicely and whatnot, but they weren't morally very sound people. So I, I, I reflected on it, uh, and I appreciated it. Oh, he, has, he has an appreciation for that. That's a high thing. Yes, he's not a Vaishnava. That's true. And what Swami Maharaj Prabhupada has done, that is extraordinary. But but this is also something. So we should become truthful. Vasudeva was a, such a pillar of truthfulness in this general society. He was looked at like that. If we can be that honest in our deal, that ideal in a sense, in our material dealings. Then we can do, when time comes, as it did for Vasudev, that the eighth child came, and he's going to deliver to Kamsa? No way. <laughs> no way. Took him across the river and brought him to Vrindavan. So he broke his promise. He broke his word. So we should uh, know the rules. There's another way of talking about this. How well should we know them? We will know them by following them. By following them, we should... Properly, we, we should know them in terms of knowing their significance, and that means we know when to break them. The rules are made to be broken. So this, of course, does take us from Mathura in the direction of Vrindavan, that Rag Bhakti, that looks like the breaking of all the rules, but is actually the real essential adherence 
all the rules. It causes a surge of love to appear in the hearts of the devotees. It obliges Krishna to them in such a way that he becomes, like we're saying, like their son. So, Kamsa was pacified, and everything was fine, but some persons uh, counseled Kamsa that uh, maybe things weren't as, uh, as safe for him as they seemed. And news was leaked to him, even from the Rishi Narada, that word is that the gods in heaven are all taking birth to assist God in his appearance. And you should be careful that anywhere in the area there could be gods in disguise. So you should take all precautions, in spite of Vasudev's word. And so what did he do? Then he, he locked Vasudev up and Devaki in the prison, shackled, extra precautions. Now, Narada, you may wonder about his participation in this, uh, but what Narada wanted was that for these pastimes to foster and, and, and to manifest. And in order to do that, in order for Krishna to appear from Devaki, the, the difficulty of their situation would uh, foster that. When we put in difficulty, then we we tend more to depend on God. When Haridas Thakur was put in jail for chanting Hare Krishna, then the inmates recognized him as a saint, and they said, "Can you pray for us for our release?" He said, "I pray that you stay here, because when you're here, you pray to God. When you get out, then then you won't. <laughs> so you're you're better off." So sometimes adversity is uh, it comes to help us. So in different ways, uh, Narada had only one thing in mind, that he wanted to f- foster the appearance of Krishna. So Vasudeva and Devaki were incarcerated. And then the children began to come, one son after another, and delivered by Vasudeva Kamsa. Kamsa killed. Six sons in a row were killed. Uh, the divine uh, Devaki, how can six of her sons be treated in that way? So there's a background to this, of course. And um, there are two important ways to think about these sons that have been discussed by the Acharyas. First is that sometime back, in the course of manifesting the creation, Brahma was seen by Marichi and others to have some attraction towards his daughter that they felt was inappropriate. Now his daughter's, this was, was Vak. Vak means speech, goddess of speech. So, to sort all that out is difficult, and Marichi and other gods appropriately did not criticize Brahma for that. They thought there must be some background to this. It looks strange and inappropriate, and we want to tell him that, but with respect, because he's a great personality. And great personalities sometimes do things that ordinary people don't, and and there's some license for them to do that. This is a good part of the answer to Maharaj Pariksit that Sukadev gave when, when Pariksit Maharaj asked, after hearing about the Rasa Leela, how can God, Krishna is God, he's Vishnu himself, he's the very bridge of Dharma. We can cross over the world of Adharma on. How can he be engaged in dancing and flirting and uh, uh, so forth with other people's wives? And among other things, Sukadeva Goswami said, you should know great people can do things that ordinary people cannot. Still, of course, great people should try to act in such a way that other people aren't confused. 
But there is always going to be, there's likely there's going to be some crossover because great people live in another dimension, another plane. And sometimes it comes out, and it comes out when it manifests here in ways that don't make sense to us. Prabhupada said a lot of things that don't make sense maybe to modern, in modern times. But what you have to always trace out the background of that person. You have to think, keep in mind, who was that person? What did he, what extraordinary thing did he, what kind of, did he do? What kind of power did he have? And any objective person analyzing will see he's a very extraordinary person, so he has to be given some room, some license. I mean, probably was perfect in his character, but sometimes people wonder, how could he have said that? But if we were to reject him on the basis of statements that don't seem to make sense, perhaps socially, at, at this time that we find in his books, that we, we, we miss much. Somebody wrote me a question. Prabhupada had said something in Nectar of Devotion in describing the limb of bhakti known as archan or deity worship the worship of the deity of krishna rupa goswami has cited a verse from the bhagavatam in relation to sudama vipra the brahman friend of krishna from mathura his classmate who was asked by his wife sudama's wife to go and beg from his friend krishna who by that time had become the prince and dwarka and was fabulously wealthy beg something because they were living in poverty. And so on his way back from that, Sudama uttered a verse saying that, that what was, the, what was the, the beauty, the value, the glory of worshipping Krishna? That uh, everything was contained in, everything's found in that. No other need for any other kind of worship, any other kind of practice. Everything is found in the worship of Krishna. So Rupa Goswami cites this as evidence for the supporting the worship of Krishna as a, as a limb of bhakti, a statement from Bhagavatam. So he cites that pramana. So Prabhupada gave some background to that. And in giving the background to that, he said that when Krishna was in Vrindavan, he sent Sudama Vipra to the Brahmins who were performing a sacrifice to ask for food. And at that time, they refused and then he told them to ask the wives, and the wives came and gave whatever Krishna wanted. Now, the whole point of this leela that Prabhupada cites, which, is fa- which, is, which is, was a favorite leela of Prabhupada's for different reasons, um, the whole point of it is that we can get lost in Brahmanism and Vedic recital and ritual and so forth and not understand the point of it. Krishna was sending his friends to beg food on his behalf, and the Brahmins disregarded these these friends. And in doing so, they showed they didn't really understand what their sacrifices were ultimately all about. All culminates in, in, in the worship of Krishna. And here Krishna was directly asking through his, his intimates for some offering. But the wives understood. Immediately they gave Krishna whatever he wanted. So Prabhupada drifted from that story of Sudama Vipra to another Leela in Vrindavan, which, as I say, was a, fa- which was a favorite of his in many respects, and cited that Leela, which illustrates the point that worship of Krishna is complete in itself. This is the essence of all worship. Any other worship that doesn't culminate in that or is... is is superficial and, and, and it's, it's not required if one just worships Krishna. So Prabhupada was bringing home the point very nicely. But in the course of drifting between the two leelas, what happened? Well, 
Sudama Vipra was not in the circle of Krishna's friends whom Krishna sent to beg food, food from the Brahmins. That Leela took place on the borderline of Mathura and the Braj, uh, Vrindavan. Krishna had gone a greater distance than ever before from home and he had missed the messenger from Jashoda bringing food, bringing the lunch. So he became hungry. So the boys became hungry. So Krishna said, well, we're near Mathura. They're performing a sacrifice. Go there. So these were intimate friends of Krishna. And one of the reasons that the Brahmins rejected them was what? Because they weren't Brahmins. They looked like just country bumpkins coming into the sacrifice, asking for some food with their left hand out. So they, they disregarded them. So I explained. So someone asked me, how is this possible this could be Sudama Vipra? And I said, it's not possible. So Prabhupada said something wrong. But I explained, as I'm explaining to you, this is uh, negligible. The fact that he's absorbed in those leelas and drifting back and forth and and he made the point and so forth uh, in a significant way, drove home the point that some people, the man ready to reject perhaps Prabhupada on, on that basis. So this way we have to look beneath the surface. So these gods, these mental sons of Brahma like Marichi, they understood Brahma's a great person first and foremost here. So this may look odd and we'll address it, but we don't fault him. This was wise. But the sons of Marichi, they weren't so wise. And they laughed at Brahma. Just for laughing at Brahma, for chasing after his daughter, they were cursed, and they had to take birth on earth as, as demons. Six sons. And they took birth as, as uh, grandsons. They were sons of Kalanemi, a fellow named Kalanemi. And I think they were grandsons of Hiranyakashipu. You know, Hiranyakashipu had some dealings with Brahma through his austerities by which he sought to achieve immortality. These grandsons, they also approached Brahma. And so Hiranyakashipu uh, was upset with them for going over his head, and he cursed them. You will take birth in the next birth, and your own father will kill you. So their father, Kalanemi, he took birth as Kamsa. And they took birth as six sons of Devaki, and Kamsa killed each of them. Now, this is the one meaning. Vishnu Chakoti Thakura has taken us inside of that to explain that Devaki is the abode of the Lord's appearance in Mathura. Mathura is actually the place of God's manifestation, according to Gopal Tapani Upanishad. So, other than a geographical location. It is, the, it is the plane of consciousness in which the Lord appears. So Devaki was within Mathura, and, within, and f from within her, f through her, the Lord would appear. But the Lord doesn't just come through anybody and everybody. And we are to learn about this appearance of Krishna on a day like this, as I mentioned earlier, that Krishna Janmasmi, the birth, the appearance of Krishna, it's important to us because we learn from it that Krishna can appear in our lives. This is what we're here for. That Krishna will appear in our lives, in our hearts and outside of them, before us. Such thing is possible, we should know from Krishna Janmastami. Now how that happens, of course, is that we meet a bona fide guru. He gives us initiation. He plants the seed. The seed is watered, it's cultivated and so forth, and Krishna manifests. So when this diksha fully manifests, 
we have sambandagyan. And that, that, that I don't mean theoretical knowledge, but we have realization. Sambandagyan is also theoretical knowledge, our orientation. But as we put that into practice, gradually that, that sambanda becomes, it, it thickens and develops into, into realization, self-realization. And a sense of my relationship with Krishna. After all, we cannot know ourself fully, independently of our relationship with Krishna. Full knowing of ourself requires knowing ourself in relation to God. So, an initiation may come, but certain things have to go out in order for other things to fully manifest. So, what are those things? There are some certain enemies for to us, uh, sadhakas. So, calm, crowd, loba, moha, mada, matsarja, six things. Lust, anger, greed, illusion, madness, envy. Nandamarsh had no envy. His son was taken by Vasudev. He never gave up his friendship with him. Nirmatsar, no envy. And none of these other things either. They all have to be purged out. So these six sons appearing from Devaki, they are symbolic of these Kamkrod, Loba, Mohamada, Matsarja, and, and the fact that these things have to be removed for Krishna to fully manifest in our lives. So this requires, as we said earlier, some change on our part, some willingness to change, to deal with these things, to come to grips with them, and to measure our success and our practice, at least in, in the beginning, by the extent that these things are, are, are diminishing. So what happened? Yes, they were all slain, and then in the uh, heart of Devaki, who appeared? Balram. Who is Balram? As the seventh child appeared in her womb. So Balram is, uh, he represents the existential uh, feature of the Lord's internal Shakti, existence, Sandini Shakti. Just like we equate Balram with the temple in which Krishna dwells. So, he manifests the abode, the Dham, and through his expansions, also the material world is manifest. Vishnu, they are all expansions of Baladev. So he's in charge of uh, space, existence, all forms, uh, the form of Krishna. So for the form of Krishna to appear, he first appeared in the womb of Devaki, the heart of Devaki. And then any trace, anything left, calm, crowed, all gone. That means there are other things, too. These are the, these are the beginning things, anarthas, only. But so many other anarthas are there, from offenses in our previous lives, and so many, so many things. Therefore, it's said that anarthas will not be gone until we attain prem. Even in bhava-bhakti, such a high stage, some anartha can be there as a result of Vaishnava parad that had been committed until it's dealt with, you cannot get the frame. So we talk about that stage, anartha nivritti. That means all these basic things are diminished considerably. Some trace of them may remain in ishta, but they don't affect the devotee. So we may see some trace elements, but they're not affecting his or her bhakti. So that should be given more emphasis than some trace elements, like probably you see the example of the fan going around after the plug has been pulled out. What's significant is that the plug's pulled out, not that the fan's still going around a little bit. That will come to an end. So who has nishta is like that. So other things, so many things. So Baladev came and fully manifested, the, he actually manifested the dom. Dom means deha also. 
Dham also means Deha. Deha means body. So in order for the form of Krishna to manifest, Baldev had to lay the groundwork. We pray to Nityananda Prabhu and Chaitanya Lila like this also. Arkobe nitai chander karuna hoi ve kobe tuchahove. By the grace of Nityananda Prabhu, we'll be purged of all those things that are inhibiting us from entering into the into the Dham. As I've said before, you can't go in with your shoes on. You have to be left at the door. And we should think about that every time we take our shoes off and enter into the door of the temple. We're supposed to be leaving more than our shoes behind. It's, it's symbolic in a sense. Of course, the feet are dirty. That's another thing. We do it for that reason. But things should be left behind. We should leave our deha behind, our hunkar behind. We should enter into the temple in our spiritual form. It's a manifestation of the abode of the Lord who Balaram appeared. Then, by the arrangement of Krishna, that yoga maya, yoga maya is a potency of Krishna that follows him everywhere. She's so close to him that he doesn't even know that she's there. She, he doesn't know that she's there and others who are whom he is uh, associated with and attracted to in a bond of love don't know she's there either, but she follows she follows him everywhere like a shadow. This is in the context of the of the Leela and the Braja Leela in particular. At this point Yogamaya was commissioned to appear and transfer Sankarshan, Ram, Balaram, from Devaki to Rohini, Vasudev's other wife, who went to Vrindavan. She went to Vrindavan just about the time that the good news was about Nanda Maharaj is going to have a child, a son. News was out, and Devaki was beginning to show some signs, and similar signs in Rohini. Appeared as if, uh, pardon me? Oh, did I, who did I say? Yeah, Jashoda. Jashoda. Excuse me. Jashoda was beginning to manifest signs, like Rohini. After all, Krishna and Balaram, they're only a few days apart, a week apart in their ages. So, this way the stage was set, so to speak, uh, for Krishna's manifestation. And from the, it is described from the absorption in the mind of Vasudev on God, augmented to some extent by the, by the circumstances, that was transferred into the heart of Devaki. He initiated his wife, so to speak, with this conception. And so, Krishna appeared. Now, when he appeared, what did he do? Of course, first he appeared with four arms, and uh, he began uh, preaching to his parents. So this is one of the important reasons that we conclude that Krishna is really not the son of Devaki and Vasudeva. Now, I just described how Krishna is the son of has appeared as the son of Vasudeva and Devaki in the prison house of Kamsa, but. You know of any children that are born with four arms and start preaching to their parents? Does that sound? No. Neither do we know of any incident, any any history of Vasudeva and Devaki praying for or aspiring for having uh, Krishna as their son. There was an oracle came, the son would come, but they didn't practice any sadhana that we know of to get Krishna as their son. Without practicing that sadhana, then and culturing that kind of love, how will Krishna appear? He, pre- he appears in reciprocation to that kind of love. What we practice in our sadhana, 
that we will get in our sadhya, in our perfection. Therefore, we have to understand from the words of Bhagavatam in the very beginning of the 10th Canto where it said by Vishnu that I will appear along with my amsa. That that amsa is Krishna's appearance in Mathura. That means an expansion of Krishna. Krishna himself, he appeared in Vrindavan. He's the son of Nanda and he's the son of Jashoda. An expansion of Krishna appeared in Mathura. Everybody's celebrating now that uh, all over the world, in so many places, in India especially, Krishna the son of Devaki and telling the story. And, and then that Krishna was transferred to Vrindavan to complete the story. The, the Yoga Maya made, made everybody go to sleep, all the guards, so Vasudev could uh, walk out of the prison with a child appearing in two-handed form. And there's also arrangement of Yoga Maya, and we'll discuss that in the next class. But anyway, taking the Krishna across the river, giving to the Nandamarsh, trading for the child, the girl child, the daughter, bringing the daughter back as if the daughter was the eighth issue of Devaki. This Krishna who appeared in Mathura, this is expansion of Krishna. And Krishna's actual birth, where he actually becomes a son. I mean, they had no opportunity even to take part in any of the childhood pastimes of Krishna. What kind of motherhood is that? What kind of fatherhood is that? And again, I say, a four-handed son appears and starts preaching to you. So in different ways, and we'll elaborate on this as we speak about the appearance of Krishna as the son of Ananda Maharaj and Jashoda, it's understood from our scriptures that only an expansion of Krishna appeared in Mathura. The most famous story about Krishna's Janmastan, the place of Krishna's birth, Mathura. So in this way, as I began, our Gaudiya Vaishnava charters have tried to go, they have gone very deeply inside the scripture and deep understanding of Krishna and what Krishna consciousness, Krishna consciousness means. They have to. Krishna consciousness means Chaitanya. Chaitanya means Krishna consciousness. He is their deity. They are fully absorbed in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They have to be fully conscious of Krishna, who is always in the consciousness of Krishna and in an extreme way. This is the idea of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So I have not cited so many verses to support all these things, but we are all friends here and we are all Gaudiya Vaishnavas. But the Goswamis have gone to the trouble to, in their tikas to show so many ways from Bhagavatam to point out all these things for ev- evidence to demonstrate their feelings, the sentiments are supported by the Bhagavatam itself. So we have a big edifice of uh, scriptural evidence and we can marshal that and use that when needed, but we're amongst friends here. So I've just told the story. Any question? Yes. So clear, you were talking about how some of the devas merge into the bodies of um, associates of Krishna. The idea is, and it's relative to our next discussion, more so than this one, that just as there's Krishna and then there's Narayana, so there's Nanda Maharaj, there's an expansion of Nanda Maharaj also in Vaikuntha, and there's a reflection of Nanda Maharaj in heaven and, and Yashoda. They were known as Dronandara. So if you read the Bhagavatam, Brahma gave a blessing to Dronandara that they could take birth on earth and Krishna would become their son. But no one can become Krishna's father and mother because he has a father and mother, Nanda and Yashoda, and their manifestations of his Swarup Shakti. So no jiva by any sadhana 
can take that position. We can taste that sentiment, that bhava, in Vatsalya Rasa by serving, uh, in following in the footsteps of Nanda and Yashoda. So Dronandara, they are, uh, from the material side, they are considered to be reflections of Nanda Maharaja's expansion in Vaikuntha. So how they took birth on earth, first of all, Brahma, how Brahma could give the benediction to have Krishna as your son, when he himself is, is aspiring for Krishna's service. He doesn't have that capacity. That's not in his power. So the Goswamis, this way, they, they trace all this out. And then they, they concluded that Dronandara, they merged, their souls merged into the souls of Nanda Maharaj and Jashoda. In that context, they tasted this Vatsalya and the appearance of, of Krishna on earth and so forth. And this way, they went back to Godhead in that relationship. But the Dronandara themselves are not the son, father and mother of Krishna. And the point is that no sadhaka can become, no practitioner can become. So just like there's Krishna and he has his various manifestations and when Krishna appears on earth, they're all inside of him. So like that. So this maybe also is relative to, to the associates of Krishna, the eternal associate, the surup shakti of Krishna, manifesting as his mother and father and friends and so forth. So these are all, of course, very tedious theological details. It's important to, to know. If we want to go into Gaudiya Vaishnavism more deeply, then all these things are important. All right, so we have a short kirtan, and then you can do japa for a little while, and we'll assemble again and discuss the second half of the appearance of Krishna.